Well, what's up, folks? It is Friday Eve, of course, Thursday night, another live episode, episode 36 tonight, and we thank you for tuning in tonight. We do appreciate it. Of course, we do have the legendary broadcaster himself, Derek Gunn, with us on tonight. And if you guys do not know, and if, unless you're living maybe under a little small rock, but of course, Derek Gunn has not only Derek Gunn himself, but Gun on One with Derek Gunn. And if you guys miss an episode, you're missing too much. And I'll bring it up a little bit here so you guys know exactly where to go to find him. Of course, you can find him on Twitter. But more importantly, gunonone.com, and you guys can pick up everything that he's throwing down. So if you're feeling the show, as D-Gun loves to say, by all means, please make sure you check out his show. So let's talk about tonight. We're going to have some little nostalgic night, if uh, if you say or if you will. We'll have we'll talk about Donovan McNabb and what he's been doing as of late. Troy Rinson and the a excellent job he did with the NFL this season and how they were able to pull off the entire season with maybe one minor hiccup, and that was towards the end of the season. So lots to get to. We also have a new sponsor that we're about to get to as soon as I do the show intro. So hang on. It's going to be a great night, a lot of fun with Derek Gunn. He's back with us again. And uh, believe it or not, when Derek started his podcast – it wasn't that far away when we were pretty much right behind him around the same time. So it's great to have him back now some 30 plus episodes later on. And we are excited to talk to him. So don't you guys go anywhere as we start the show here. We'll be right back. I'm Angel and this is Broad Street South. So again, thanks for tuning in. And before we get the show started, we want to give you guys some great news here. So I'm going to bring this up and I'll talk to you about what it all means here for us. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. So let's celebrate with the fans of Philly, the new official sponsor of Broad Street South. And we can't thank Joe enough for believing in us and taking a chance with us meaning having the same fun as we do. And when fans of Philly, if you guys are looking to travel anywhere with the Eagles, Sixers, Phillies, Flyers, depending, of course, when they let all the fans come back, make sure you book it with fansofphilly.com. Fansofphilly.com, those guys put a nice package deal together for you to enjoy. And even our co-host travel with them as well, and he may even touch up on it. But fans of Philly, Joe, we, we, bring, we appreciate everything that you've been chatting with us and talking with us. So, again, fansofphilly.com, you guys, and I'll bring up, the, of course, the logo later on. Uh, but go to fansofphilly.com if you guys want to book that flight to Vegas that hopefully the fans will be allowed in the stands. So look for that Vegas trip. I think it's going to be the biggest one of the year other, other than the Denver trip. So we'll get more into the trips later on. But without further ado, of course, I can't do the show without my co-host, Mike Fuji. And there he is. It's the drummer man himself. Fuji, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Episode 36. Be gone in the house tonight. About two weeks away from NFL free agency. The NFL's new season kicks off, and let's talk some birds. How yeah. are you, Angel? I'm good. Uh, should I bring up the weather? Maybe I should. It's about 75 degrees down here. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Don't mean to rub it in, but hey, you know, it's it's beautiful weather down here. So anyone want to take a trip down here? Hey, Florida's wide open, just to let you guys know. But of course, the other gentleman that we cannot do the show without is our sports contributor, Mike Sherman.
And of course, whoops, I'm sorry, Mike. Here we go. <laughs> How are you, Mike? Do you smell that? What is it's it? It's March Madness. It's March Madness. Oh, I can't wait for the college basketball tournament. But tonight we have a fully packed show with D Gun talking about football. And here's what I got to say about football right now in the Philadelphia Eagles. Offensive line. Offensive line. Let's do it. No, let's hope so. And of course, we're going to bring on the legendary broadcaster himself. So everyone, if you could all clap virtually, we greatly appreciate it. But here is the man himself, D-Gun. D-Gun, how are you tonight, sir? What's up, fellas? How you guys doing tonight, man? Great, yeah, yeah. D-Gun. How are you? Good, man. Good, man. I'm enjoying it. Living the dream. That's all I can say right now. Living the dream. Well, we hope so. And, and let me bring this all back around here so I can switch it all around. But, uh, you know, the one thing that I will say, D-Gun, before we get the party started here, and I see the comments coming in, so you guys, I'll get to your comments here. If you guys have any questions, by all means, load them up here on, on the comments. But, the you know, the last time when we were on and you were on with us, you know, you as I was telling the guys before we came on air, you ever been to like a either a nightclub or a bar restaurant or that wedding? And you just get that feel like, man, I, I can't wait to have that kind of night again where it's just it's kicked back, relaxed. It's almost like you're on a cruise and you can't wait for it. So mm. with describing that, it's like the last time when we spoke to you, it was the same way. It was just it was so humble and we were having so much fun and we didn't want the night to end. It, it had to for obvious reasons, but we just had so much fun that I figured that I, I was trying to find the right description. And I think this one might be it here. So if anybody wants to book their Ooh. reservations right now, it's 1-800-GUN-ON-1 to I like book reservations. That. I like that. Ooh. Do I get I a free cruise out of this? Sure, you can. Okay. All right. Now, the, um, just to let you know, though, when we get the all clear sign in 2042, that's when the first one's going to go out. So hopefully, 2042? Yeah, well, you know, we, we got to wait around to see what's going on here. Because we, we don't know. You know, we're just waiting. We'll see that's, what happens. <laughs> that's messed up, man. Why? In case we might have another pandemic or something? No, just in case. You know, you never know. Man. <laughs> I, man, that was a nice setup, though. You hook, you you got me hook, line, and sinker with that one. I'm thinking I'm halfway, I'm halfway to the Caribbean, and you tell me, twenty some years from now, man, you well, set this, me up. But we'll get the cruise ship ready for you, so we'll we'll make sure yours is launched in the summer. So you know, we'll do that private one. We'll get all the family and friends together, and we'll do it right before we launch it back in in 2042, or at least in the future. Because again, we're all trying to get the normal, and God knows when that's going to be. Well, you know what? 2042, instead of that cruise ship, it might be one of those. Remember, if you remember, if remember history, those old Viking ships, when somebody died, they put the Viking warrior on the ship and they set it out to sea and then they set it on fire. And that's the way they would bear. See, that, that might be me in 2042, man. You know, I don't know what's going to happen 21 years from now, man. Come on, man. Well, you need to do the rest of us, but we just hope that we can get over to at least this small part here because I'm 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 dying to get back to whatever normal is ever again. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm dying to get back to. So and and supposedly, I don't know, CBS apparently hinted to this tonight that obviously, like you got Texas, Alabama, the other different states are gonna take away their mask mandates. Right. Uh the state of Florida, from what I understand, may be doing the same thing in about two weeks here. So you know, oh, those no. don't wear their oh, mask no. they can wear, but I don't know. It's it's gonna be it's going to be something now. Of course, talking about it, one thing and doing it, it's a different. It's a different thing. But the, so far, I don't believe Florida's on that queue yet. I think they're still playing it safe, make sure because we know we got tons of spring breakers that are coming down here. So, 
Mm-hmm. Month of March and April is going to be something else down here in Florida. But hey, we'll see. One never knows. But I will bring up before we get everything completely underway. And this is what I was talking about earlier. So for everyone, and again, I see your comments coming in. For Derek Gunn with Gun on One, with Derek Gunn, if you guys go to gunonone.com, as you can see down here on Spotify, and it, believe me, any of your favorite podcasts, you can find Gun on One. If you miss one episode, as I stated earlier, you're missing a lot. It is so intuitive. You get to learn so much from players, from uh, Troy Vincent himself, from, good Lord, uh, Jeff McLean. I mean, you get to know so many details about so many different people. Listen to it. And even if you listen to it the first time, it's like your favorite movie. If you watch that same movie two or three times, you'll pick up on something different as far as when it comes to Gun on One. Because Lord knows I've listened to them. And it's the same way. You get to listen to all these different stories and you get to see the picture. Even if you don't have the time to watch the actual video, you can you can listen to it on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. Like I said, just about any of Anchor FM, you can look for an anchor and just tune in while you're even driving in the car. If you want an out-of-body experience as far as something where it gets you away from this pandemic, go on one is a place to go because I'm not lying. It, it's absolutely fantastic. Same Thank way you. you can follow Derek Gunn on Twitter. As you can see right there, Real D Gun uh, on Twitter. Also, the Gun on One, again, so you won't miss a thing. And as you can see, the keyword is follow, just like I do. Follow the podcast in the same way with YouTube. And same way, I'm subscribed. Ring the bell because I don't want to miss any episodes whatsoever. So uh, if I miss something, D Gun, you let me know. But uh, as far as I recall, that's about as many ways as everyone can get an opportunity to listen to your podcast. Hey, man, you know more about me than I know about myself, man. I was impressed <laughs> with that little array. That, that, that was pretty – yeah, but you know what? Um, I'm having fun with it. Uh, and obviously, when you've been in the business as long as I have, uh, you make a lot of friends. You you come across and, and generate a lot of colleagues. So it has been, uh, for the most part, an easy transition uh, in terms of going from talking in front of a television camera for so many years to now doing it in my own podcast and stuff like that. So, you know, there's some athletes that I've reached out to still haven't gotten yet, hopefully get them down the road. Um, But, you know, for the most part, it's been a learning experience in a lot of ways, but it's also been a lot of fun as well, because you're right. Well, you know, when you get a lot of guys in a one-on-one situation away from the mass media and you can just yuck it up and just talk about some things other than a job description. You know, you start to see people loosen up more and have a lot more fun with things. And that's just what I want to I want to have fun. I want to be informative first and foremost. But, right. you know, there are a whole lot of podcasts out there that, that are informative. I just want to have fun and, let's, and let people see maybe a little bit different perspective of, of a subject that they normally don't get to see. Yeah, and that is absolutely true. Just like I, I learned how the goatee came about, which was uh, pretty interesting. So, and, and I want people to tune into the podcast so they learn how, how this ended up happening. But no, it's true because we get to see, even just listening to, again, to a lot of the interviews you've done, yeah. we get to learn a side of you that we didn't get a chance to see when you were on TV. And for obvious reasons, because mm-hmm. when you're working for someone, you know, you, of course, you adhere to all the company policies and rules, sure. what they have in place. But when you get to do it on your own, you are now your own CEO or president or however you want to end up you know, yeah. calling yourself. Yeah. It's fun because you can finally kind of let everything go and just be you. And, and the same way with us, you know, we like to have fun as much as we possibly can on our podcast. And sure. that's what it is. We're not super professionals. You know, we don't have all the answers, but we love what we do. and We have a lot of fun. So hopefully, I mean, you're for at least for us, I will say 
definitely inspiring because we can we see the work you put into it and it shows with the podcast. And again, if you don't see it on video, you can hear it. And the best way to sell something is to listen to what's going on because that picture is painted so vividly that it's incredible how you can just go, just get away from everything and listen into what's going on. It's like, wow, I didn't know that. And now I do. And you can share it with anyone. So by all means, everyone who's watching, I'm not doing it just because D Gun is here because it's been done all the time. But by all means, gun on one with Derek Gun. You won't trust me. You won't regret it. Thank Subscribe you. Everywhere. You guys and you guys do a great job. Don't think I don't listen. I tap in every now and then. You guys do a great job as well. Just be natural. Just do you, and that's the biggest selling point you have. Don't try to be something that you're not. And you guys do a great job with that. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank we you. appreciate it. Yeah. So I see the comments you guys I'll, I'll bring up here momentarily, but I'm, I'm going to get to the first one and I'm going to bring it back. Uh, one thing for sure is I'm going to bring up the video here momentarily, but it, do you remember this question from Donovan where he said, did we jump off the Brent Franklin bridge? And he, he worded it differently. I'm going to bring up the video so, so everyone can understand because one of the things that I put out there on the promo is uh, what Donovan had, had shared with the gun and it's, it's interesting to listen to. And, and as I told the guys, and I think Donovan McNabb knows this more than anybody else, he, he was either loved and or hated in Philly, but not hated to the point where it's something that you despise a person. It was just the player, not the person, but the player. And a lot of it because, again, the one thing that, that you can learn off your podcast is when you listen to the person away from the game, it's like, oh, you know what? Why in the world did I not like this guy? I don't get it. I must be that silly. But you get to learn a lot, especially from this interview alone. And that's kind of why I want to touch on it, because it, it's interesting what Donovan had to say, you know, what whether it makes him happy, you know, the time he spends with his family, how busy his life is, just like with Troy Vincent. But I, I bring this around because, of course, we know that recently Carson Wentz got his trade as he wished to Indianapolis. And you and Jeff McLean had a very good, uh, interesting takes in between Carson Wentz and, and the things that he would do and wouldn't do as far as with the team. And, and I found it more surprising than anything else. But And also it, the other thing as well is that you have the one word that we were all thinking about, Fuji, myself, and Sherman would talk about, is how in the world did the Eagles end up missing out on, you know, not getting a, a bigger thing. And I was surprised when McLean said, because I didn't think about it myself, that he was benched. And that's why he didn't get the money or the trades or what the Eagles were looking for because not too many people were interested. But I want to take the take here. Hopefully the audio, you guys can hear it. But here's Donovan, and he, he kind of breaks down the beginning part of the season. So this is going back to September 30th and how he kind of breaks down the, the beginning portion of the season, and then it gets more interesting as it goes along. To uh, compare the two, uh, really, with, with Carson and myself and, and Doug and Andy, but – uh, there, there's light at the end of the tunnel, I believe, uh, and everyone needs to just relax before they start jumping off the Ben Franklin Bridge. So it, interesting, right? It starts starts off the, the beginning of, in, you know, of the season, and Donovan kind of he was funny in the very beginning of uh, your podcast when he said that you know he's they're coming off a loss, and then here comes Donovan being interviewed. So I, I thought it was kind of funny when he had stated himself with you talking with him early on in the season. D Gun, did you? envision everything that we see today no absolutely not um w when carson was struggling early uh i'm thinking okay he's going to come out of this doug peterson is going to find a way to get him out of this uh funk that he he's currently in but as the season progressed it just got progressively worse 
Now, you have to factor in the offensive line was like a picket fence the entire season. They had like 13, 14 different starting offensive line combinations, and some of the guys starting normally wouldn't get in a game a whole season, um, let alone being a regular. So that factored in. But then you look at the times that Carson did have to throw the ball and how many times he missed wide open receivers or he didn't even look to one side of a field uh, with a receiver standing there waving his arms wide open. And you're starting to wonder what in the world is going on with this guy. Now, granted, when you hit when you're sacked 50 times in a season and you're hit over 100 times, it does have an effect on you. I don't care who you are. Just even a superhuman person is still a human being. And, you know, mentally, physically, you do get beat up in this game. Um, and he took a lot of unnecessary shots. And some of them were his own fault, holding on to the ball a little bit too long, not throwing right. the ball away when he should have thrown the ball away. Um, but it, it just kept spiraling downward. The more Carson played, and it just got to a point, Doug Peterson finally said, we have to try something different here because this is going nowhere. And, and so, Trina, and again, I, I you couldn't – when, when he was benched, and we'll get it to it later on as well, as far as when it came to the pick of Jalen Hurts coming into the organization, and you know, how are we talking about it? it was going to be a quarterback factory. <clears throat> Nate Sutfield is still around. Who knows what's going to end up happening with Nate? But to see from the start of the season, which we all thought we, we knew it was played by COVID already. There was no mini camp the way it normally is. Preseason games were cut down. I mean, so all these things were, were different factors. But to see Carson – pretty much even go further backwards this season before, it was unbelievable to see how much he pretty much regressed instead of actually going forward and thinking like, okay, let me fix the things that went wrong the year prior. 2017 being the best season he will probably ever have in his lifetime unless something happens differently in Indy with Frank Reich. But it's interesting to me how much he didn't want to listen to his coaches. And and, and again, if uh, with, with Jeff um, – McLean, it, it was interesting to hear how he, he broke it down and things that he couldn't say because uh, I'm trying to get a word. He said he, he couldn't confirm, I guess, certain things that, that you asked him. But you can kind of put the pieces together and figure out, okay, maybe it wasn't all Doug. Maybe it wasn't all the organization. Maybe Carson had maybe half of it to do with it but chose not to listen and or change or even conform to the other players because I mean, there was just – I can go on forever as far as what was learned with Carson and the stories, as you stated, that we still have yet to hear. And Lord knows when we're going to hear those stories unless someone just happens to leave the team and all of a sudden kind of spills the beans. So it's going to be interesting to hear that. The other thing uh, that was talked about also was Carson a golden boy. And that was a great question that you ended up bringing up. And I like actually what Donovan had to say here. So I'm going to bring Donovan back up and take that banner away. Bring us back and we'll listen to Donovan again. Do you think in any way Carson is rattled by the negative criticism? I mean, you look at his career. He's always been the golden boy on campus when he was at North Dakota State. He came here as a number two pick. He was supposed to be the savior of this organization. People were rolling out the red carpet for him. Things were going well. His career kept getting better from 2016 to 2017. MVP candidate until he got hurt. And then he willed this team to, to win a division title last year with a bunch of receivers walking in off the streets. I, I don't think Carson... Carson is used to having this kind of negative darts thrown at his, uh, thrown at him. No, he hasn't. I mean, you know, he he's definitely uh, looked upon as a savior. I mean, it's it's one in which um, 
it's good on one end, obviously, as a player, when you, you see that uh, people are accepted of you and, and your ability and appreciate what you can bring to the table. And then the negative aspect of it is how quickly they turn on you. And so I, that was one thing that I tried to emphasize early on through his career is you can only ride the wave for so long. Um, and, and you need to ride the wave as a player while you're continuing to get better and your team's getting better. Hey, we go, we go through ups and downs as a football team. You right. know, they play well, defense may not. Defense plays well, offense may not. But you can't go through games where both sides play bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and when both sides play bad, now you're what, leaning on the kicking game? That's not going to win games right now in the NFL. So, it, again, interesting with, with Donovan, what he had to say. And, and, and to get your take on it, just listening back to it on September 30th, and, of course, fast forward now to where Carson is gone. So Carson was what it seems like was, you know, he was catered to, whether high school and college, and then he came into the NFL. And I don't know if it was something, one of those things where it just – it didn't fall in place for him or maybe because he came from a small town into a large market in Philly. Everybody knows no matter what, even with me being out here in Tampa, people know it because it's hard in Philadelphia as sports fans. Cause we're not a bunch of dummies for sure. We learned the game. We studied the game. We know exactly what we're talking about. Howie Roseman, everybody wants to hang him, including that man on, on the very top here of the Brady Bunch pyramid. Um, but the one thing is, is that we're going to see how, how he plays this year's draft class compared to what he's done in years before or years prior, should I say. But Donovan adding to that, and, and we know Donovan had bad times here in Philly. He had great times, but he also had bad times. And towards the end of it, before he ended up down there in DCU, um, the big thing was that he he stated that he didn't deal with negativity. And, and I got a clip on that one as well. But that Carson, for some reason, couldn't deal with that. So I like to know your take, Degun, as far as was Carson, you know, went that golden boy that he just couldn't shake off and couldn't adapt to the city of Philadelphia. Anybody drafted that high, and I don't care what sport it is, you're already going to be looked upon before you even put on a uniform, before you even walk in the building. You're already going to be looked upon as a definitive game changer for that organization that you're playing for. When you're the number two pick in your sport as a professional and you're being paid that kind of money coming out of the college ranks, you are considered to be an exceptional athlete, not just a first-round pick, but an exceptional first-round pick um, at that particular point. Now, early on, he came in here, and he didn't have any pressure on him except go out there, and when you get in there to play the game, just play it to the best of your ability because when you make that transition from the college ranks to the pros, there's a significant learning curve. Uh, these are grown men compared to gr- boys that you're playing against now. They're faster. They hit harder. Uh, the schemes are different. They're going to try to trip you up more so than ever before. Even a weak team can sneak up on you and beat you on any given Sunday. And he kept riding upward up through 2017, even in 18 and 19. I mean, you look at what happened with those teams then. You know, certain aspects of the team were decimated by injuries, and somehow Carson was able to will these guys to win and get them into the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, here comes, you know, 2020 rolls along. Um, and, you know, now he can't use the excuse that he's a young quarterback because, oh, by the way, the previous year he had just gotten a $130-plus million contract. So now you are the face of this organization and the expectations of you um, even higher more so than when you came out of college. 
And the bottom fell out all of a sudden, and the booze started raining down, even though people weren't in the stands. You know, the booze started raining down in the newspapers, on television, on radio. And, you know, a lot of athletes will say, uh, I don't listen to that stuff. I didn't hear this. I didn't hear that. For the most part, that's a lie, because even if they don't hear directly, they have enough people surrounding them that tell them and fill them in every day on what's being said, good, bad, or indifferent about them. Um, so Carson heard all the bad, bad stuff. And I think, I honestly believe he was rattled by this organization drafting a quarterback uh, in the second round of last year's draft. But, you know, you're a professional athlete now five years into the game. You just got a mega contract. You're one of the highest paid players in your profession. See, and, and for me at that point, it would have been, I don't care who you bring in here. Um, I, I don't care if you draft another quarterback in the first round because you, he's got to beat me out. And, and if there's a chance that he beats me out, I'm still getting paid, you know, right. so he had everything he wanted as a young man, 27, 28 years of age, you know, so I don't understand uh, players who are in the driver's seat who keep looking over their shoulder because eventually I don't care what sport you're in players in the backseat are going to move to the front seat. You just ride that car and drive that car as long as you can and let the chips fall where they may. And I don't think he handled it well in terms of the outside pressure and the outside negative criticism of him. I think he let it get him to it too much. Let him let it get to him too much. He wasn't used to that. He's not used to having people say negative things about him. And when you go from a small state like North Dakota and you come to one of the largest markets in America, the fourth largest market in America, and the fan base here um, is very knowledgeable, very passionate, but they're also very uh, very wishy washy. They love you one day and, and, and want to run you out of town the next day right. if you don't live up to expectations. It takes a certain type of chemical makeup, a certain type of DNA to survive in a town like Philadelphia. Donovan McNabb was able to handle it, and Donovan heard everything. Donovan knew everything that was going on, everything that was said about him. I mean, there were times when I would have conversations with Donovan, and Donovan would say, D Gun, I heard what you said about me on your show yesterday. And I would tell him, Okay, tell me what I did I say anything that was a lie. You tell me. He goes, No, I just heard what you said. You know, you can say what you want to say, but I heard what you said. So Donovan had a lot of people around him. But but the difference is Donovan Donovan deflected a lot of that negative talk with humor. You know, if you if you remember, a lot of times when things were going bad for Donovan and the Eagles offense, he would step to the podium and he would be badgered by questions and he would try to inject a joke, a corny yeah. joke, but he would try to inject a joke and, and deflect a lot of the criticism that was coming his way. That's how he handled it. He never let the pressure get to him because Donovan knew, number one, I'm the quarterback of this team. I understand I have to stand up here and take all of these darts, verbal darts being thrown my way, but I'm still getting paid as well, you know. Uh, he understood he was a part of the problem. The entire problem was not just on him, but he understood he was part of the problem as well, as well as part of the success of this team. He got that. But, you know, he handled it a lot differently than Carson Wentz was able to handle it. Yeah, Mike. D-Gun, I was going to ask you. I This was my philosophy all along. Yeah. I just don't think Carson Wentz was thick-skinned enough playing the city of Philadelphia. Do you agree with that? No, I do agree. Um, I, I do agree after hearing some of the things that came out last season um, and hearing how he, he wanted out of here. And when you when, when you heard the, the, about the so-called riff between him and Doug Peterson, well, they get rid of Doug Peterson, and now I'm thinking, okay, so Carson Wentz's biggest problem is gone, the head coach. But that doesn't change his perspective, see. Um, he still wants out of here from everything that we've heard and from what I've heard about it. So finally he gets his way. And he's worried about a, a second-round draft pick 
uh, taking his job one day, really? Because, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't care what level you play it, but sports is about being competitive. It's a competitive nature in practice, in the classroom, and on the field every time you step out there. So, you know, if, if you are a competitive per- person, you look at that challenge and you say, okay, I'm accepting this challenge and I'm going to beat this challenge. You don't shy away from it. But, you know, in Carson's case, you know, um, you know, he, he, he got what he wanted. He, he's now get, getting uh, back with Frank Reich. And let's face it, Frank Reich was an integral part of his success in 2017. So now that he's going to Indianapolis, this is all on Carson Wentz now. You've got your head coach back that you wanted to be with. You have a great running game in Indianapolis. You have an outstanding offensive line. You're really good defense in Indianapolis. They love using tight end sets. They've used three, four, five different tight end sets um, in their offense. So if Carson Wentz fails in Indianapolis, if he can't get it done in Indianapolis, then that tells you it's not just the system, but it's the inner, inner working mechanisms of Carson Wentz himself. No, that is true. And I, I got another question about you before I, I turn it back over to you here in a second. It's it's we keep hearing that, okay, so now Doug's gone, Carson's gone. But apparently whatever is still ailing, I guess, the Eagles, the problem's still in-house. Do you feel that there's still a problem in-house before we can actually move forward with this entire team? Well, if you base it on what we've seen uh, in terms of the drafts in recent years, the inconsistency in the drafts, um, you you could look at it and say, yes, uh, there's still an in-house problem. Now, I'm I'm assuming you're you're referring to the in-house problem being Howie Roseman. Now, Howie Roseman knows he's on the hot seat right now. This is a pivotal year, a definitive year in Howie Roseman's tenure with the Philadelphia Eagles. You're 43 million upside down in cap space right now. You have a young quarterback who has five games of film. Uh, is he your quarterback of the future? We still don't know that. They could go out and bring a veteran quarterback in, and Jalen Hurts could still be your number two quarterback. We don't know. That remains to be seen. Right. What are you going to do with that first pick in the draft? Whatever you do with that first pick in the draft this year, that player has to be a cornerstone for this organization, not just for the duration of his rookie contract. But beyond that, you know, I don't care if it's a, a tackle, uh, a, a defensive end, a linebacker, a cornerback, whatever it may be, whatever they pick with that pick, or even if they slide down, trade that pick and slide down to get an extra first-round pick, those players in that first round, because you're now building from the ground up, basically. Yeah, you, you're keeping Fletcher Cox, Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks. I, you know, I get that. But, you know, you got a young nucleus now you have to build around. This is Miles Sanders' show now. Okay, uh, Derek Barnett. You hopefully they can keep a Derek Barnett. All right, you got a group of young receivers now. You got a young quarterback who may be your starting quarterback, and on top of that, you have a guy who's never been a head coach in the National Football League, and Nick Sirianni now running your offense with a bunch of coaches, especially special teams coordinators, twenty nine years old, so younger than some of the players on right. this team. So you're moving in a completely different direction. Now, I will also add this. Depending on what this team does with this draft this year, uh, coupled with the young talent they already in house, now we all assume that they're going to have a losing record in 2021, right. just just by the nature of them trying to get younger to get better in the long haul. If this team went four and twelve in 2021, but they showed promise, players individually, collectively showed promise that they are moving upwards and learning and getting better. This Philadelphia fan base will have patience. Will they be critical? Absolutely. 
But there will also be positive uh, positives to look at in the future because 2022 could be a promising year with a young nucleus of players. But if you go out and keep drafting a Jaquan Jarrett's and players like this and find out that these players shouldn't have been as drafted as they high and they can't play, you know what? It's going to come raining down on you. And, and I'm Jeffrey Lurie. I'm telling Howie Roseman right now, look, you're being you're on the clock right now in 2021. At the end of the year, we're going to sit down again and we're going to talk about what you did in the offseason to get out from under this dark cloud uh, uh, of the salary cap situation, how we handled the draft, accumulating more draft picks, uh, so on and things like that. How, how did we strategically draft? Uh, and how our team played as a nucleus in 2021. And at that time, we will have a definitive discussion about whether or not you will continue with this organization. So so Howie, Howie Roseman is definitely in a hot seat this year. I think the guy on, on the top there, that's that's his best friend. So he will be really uh-huh. hurt if, if he's gone. But uh, Fuji loves to... The one thing about these two guys is Sherman knows how to how to get him fired up. So I'm pretty sure right now you're getting uh, Fuji fired up. So Fuji, what's your I guess you're based upon Howie if if he doesn't get it right this uh, this season coming up. You got to pull the plug. I mean, let's go back to 1999. I'll say one name: the Adigon. Tom Modrak was the last legitimate general yep. manager in this organization. Now Howie's pulled off some nice moves. You know, he worked his magic in 2017, but thanks for the memories. And, you know, but, you know, he should be on the hot seat. I mean, this team has regressed the last three years, four years since 2017. Now, he, I just, he should go. I mean, he should have been gone. I mean, Carson's gone. Doug Peterson's gone. The cancer's still in the building. Yeah. It's true the way I'm seeing it, and I, I I see a lot of your your comments, and I will get to them momentarily. Victoria, I'll bring yours up right here because uh, D Gun is right there. You, the picture went away, but Victoria, Victoria says, uh, uh, what's up, Victoria? We got a, a couple other folks. I'll bring up all your comments here momentarily, everybody. So don't think that I'm ignoring you because we'll, there's a couple of questions between the comments as well. But um, Sherman, because I know I haven't given you opportunity as well as we've been rolling along. How do you feel as we've been talking here, Carson Wentz? What was your take of Carson, whether he was good for the Eagles or didn't get a fair shot with the Eagles? Well, look, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, as Fuji has talked about so many times on this show, Carson Wentz should have been the most valuable player of the league. And when you think about it, Howie Roseman is the person who ultimately brought Carson Wentz in to Philadelphia. So we always talk about the fact that Doug Peterson will never have to buy another meal in his town. He'll never have to buy another drink in his town. But people don't talk the same way about Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman was the person who was responsible for bringing Carson Wentz into Philadelphia. And guess what? He brought us the only Super Bowl that the Eagles have ever won in their franchise history. But people don't talk about Howie Roseman that way. They're always like, ah, oh, he messed up this draft. Why did he bring in Jalen Hurts? And for the record, I don't agree with the Jalen Hurts pick. I don't agree with that pick at all that they made last year. If you have a multi-million dollar quarterback in Carson Wentz, somebody who went 4-0 in the year before to get the Eagles into the playoffs and then got a raw deal because of the fact that he got injured in that game against Seattle and everybody all of a sudden, they loved Wentz for getting the Eagles into the playoffs. Then all of a sudden he gets the hit from Clowney, he gets a concussion, and they're like, ah, he's brittle again. Well, what do the Eagles do? If you're going to 
make Wentz better, you got to give him the protection. And that's why I said in the beginning of the show, offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. D-Gun, you said it so eloquently earlier in this podcast. You talked about the show that you talked about the fact that whoever the Philadelphia Eagles pick with this number six picker, whether they trade down, they need to get a cornerstone player, somebody who's going to be with this team for the next 10 years. I personally say offensive line because there's a guy playing in DCU, a team that won the division this past year. His name is um, Chase Young, and he's going to be around for a while, and he's a pretty effective player. So if you're playing that team two times a year, you better get somebody on that line who's going to be able to counter Chase Young and protect your quarterback, whether it's Jalen Hurts, whether it's Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Ryan Fitzpatrick, or fill in the blank. Mm. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and when you talk about the Eagles' offensive line, no, it, it, the offensive line during last offseason, the offensive line looked pretty good, you know, when you think about it. Nobody could have predicted Brandon Brooks, you know, rupturing his Achilles. Nobody would have predicted Lane Johnson playing on one leg most of the season. Um, nobody could have predicted Andre Dillard was going to be out for the, for the entire season. Um, you know, it's part of the game. And unfortunately, because those things happen, this offensive line, offensive line, you know, the quarterback does get a lot of glory and a lot of the criticism. But I think the offensive line, I've always said the offensive line to me is the heart and beat of an offense. Right. Because if you don't have five guys in unison that can open the holes for your running back, give your quarterbacks time, I don't care who your quarterback is, you can have, you know, Fran Tarkin back there and you can have Warren Moon. It doesn't make a difference who you put back there. They're going to be under duress more times than not, you know. And so Carson was under duress a lot in 2020. Um, you know that man flat out took a beating. But to, to, to go back what you're talking about with Howie, you're right. You know, in 2017 it was the perfect storm. Every move Howie made in 2020 panned out from the Garrett Blunt, AJ Ajayi. Everything was was the perfect storm. And then during the season, you know, Jason Peters gets hurt, Darren Sproles gets hurt, the franchise quarterback gets hurt. Nobody expected this team to, 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 to get past the playoffs, let alone get, get to, to play New England in the Super Bowl and beat the evil, evil empire, the New England Patriots. But it did happen. It was a perfect storm. You know, but, but you, know, it's, you can also say, what have you done for me lately? We live in a what have you done for me lately society. Yeah. That, that, that 2017 Super Bowl is like 10 years ago now to a lot of people. You know, once you've had a taste of that champagne, you don't want a cup. You want the whole bottle, man. And when your organization stands at the podium uh, during the celebration and tells you this is the new standard for us, you know, you're thinking, okay, we're going to be like the New England Patriots, consistently in the playoffs, consistently getting the Super Bowls. And ever since they uttered those words, in a lot of ways, it got progressively worse to the point we are now where this team is now at the bottom looking up and now having to basically start all over again and trying to rebuild, uh, rebuild another championship type team. It's going to be extremely hard. I mean, you look at it, but again, unless it's talked about how, you know, you, Jeff, uh, the other reporters as well, saying that the the real the rebuild is going to be tough going through as far as a draft, but hopefully it won't take three or four years to do a rebuild. You know, Jeff, I think, hit it best when he said, if how we can nail it this draft season, right. you know, coming up here, then Eagles should be fine. If sure. He, Sure. You know, if, he, if he dumps it all or doesn't know exactly what he's doing, then we're going to figure out that the fans – he thought the fans were bad the last two years. He better hope the fans aren't allowed back in the stands when this season comes around. So it, it's going to be interesting. But I, I like 
the other thing, as we kind of roll it on here, with as far as sensitivity, now we know that players, you know, they, they like to be, I guess, pampered a whole bunch and coming out of college and now coming to the NFL. A lot of the, you know, whether it's your special teams coach, defensive back coach, you don't have too many like Deuce, for example, that will get in your face and let you know exactly what, you know, what you did wrong, what you're doing right, because, you know, he, he tells it both ways. Or a lot of today's players not like the players of beforehand. Like, you know, a player like Donovan, where Donovan could take, you know, criticism. He, he could deal with Andy Reid. If right. Andy Reid told me he was having a bad game, are the players today too sensitive to the point where they don't want to be coached, they just want to do them? I'm not going to say they don't want to be coached. Players don't want to. Players do want to be coached. They want to get better at their craft individually and collectively. But there are a lot of players out there that that, that you have to coach individually. I can't even begin to tell you how many former players and coaches I talk to, particularly former players. And I've asked them. I said, "Why don't you get into coaching? You'd be a great position coach." And they all say, "I don't want to coach these kids nowadays, man." You got you to gotta treat these kids with a pacifier nowadays. You know, if you yell at them instead of stepping up like men, some of them shut down. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, they shut down. They pout. You know, they can't mentally function when you yell at them. Uh, it's a different breed of athlete out there. These kids nowadays are more athletic. Every year they're more athletic than the years before that we've seen them. Uh, but also they're just a different mindset. And when a coach has to coach 53 guys individually instead of coaching them the same way, you know, a lot of times that doesn't work. I, I look, but see, you look at the older coaches like an Andy Reid, like a Pete Carroll. They're going to coach you one way, and the players and, and the Bill Belichick, they're going to they're going to players are going to step in tow because number one, you have X amount of veteran players that will keep them in tow. Number two, their success rest, records are still current. These young players coming out today, they see they watch these coaches on TV and they know the success. Andy Reid's not going to change his style of coaching. Pete Carroll's not going to change. Right. Um, and Bill Belichick's not going to change. If you don't want to play for them, you know what? Thank you for being here. We'll get somebody else to replace you and they keep moving forward. You know, but these younger coaches nowadays, you know, the Sean McVeigh's, the Matt LaFleur's, the Cliff Kingsbury, they got to approach these guys differently because they're so much close, closer in age to these players that are playing today. Man, it's like if I was a 37, 38-year-old coach, I don't know if I want to coach a lot of these guys today. Because if I'm yelling at one of you for the same reason, I shouldn't have to coddle you and tell you it's okay. I don't mean it. You know, it's going to be better. You know, I understand you guys suck right now, and that's for everybody. Not just it's you know, you got to be able to man enough. You're a paid professional, right? You're a professional athlete. Now there are good days. It's like weather. It's like you're going to have sunny days, cloudy days, overcast, thunderstorms, tsunamis, and you have to know how to be man enough to know how to weather all of it to make yourself a vet, better individual and to help make us a better team. In some players, they just don't handle it well, criticism well nowadays. Deacon, I was going to ask you, do you think uh, Deuce got a role deal from the Eagles not being head coach? When, when you're as loyal to an organization um, as Deuce has been to this organization, my initial answer is yes. Uh, I think Deuce got a raw deal. Um, and I know Deuce feels the same way. But when I'm sitting on the other side of the table as an owner and a GM, I have to consider what am I looking for in a head coach? You know, I don't know what I don't know what 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 Howie and Jeffrey are looking for in the next head coach. I mean, they picked a Nick Sirianni, um, but I look at I look at Jeffrey Lurie's tenure as an owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, and and I've been here since 1997. 
they bring in this guy named Andy Reid, and people were like hemming and hawing and upset because they brought in a guy who had never been a, a coordinator, let alone a head coach. Andy Reid had tremendous su success. You know, they bring in a Chip Kelly. First two years, he goes ten and six. First year, he takes a four and twelve team and turns them into ten and six. You know, and gets them into the playoffs. Obviously, it didn't pan out his third year. You know, uh, then they bring in a Doug Peterson. You know, right. Doug Peterson was not a favorite choice when it was announced that he was in. He had never been a, a coordinator for the most part anywhere. You know, he did some play calling in Kansas City. Oh, by the way, he wins the Super Bowl his second year in the National Football League as a head coach. So I don't know what they're looking for. That's on the Philadelphia Eagles. I feel for Deuce because I know he feels he got a raw deal in this situation. Um, will, will Deuce get a head coaching job somewhere down the road? Hope so. I think he will. Just like an Eric B. Enemy. I think Eric B. Enemy should be a head coach right now in the National Football League. He's going to get his just due at some right. point. So Deuce got to a point where he said, you know what, enough of this, and decided to move on and get a fresh start somewhere else. So good for him. Now you touched him on something where, uh, as far as Donovan and, and the media, Donovan, which and again you end up learning a lot of things post, you know, post his career as far as the NFL, and and he stated just like you were saying that he he really didn't deal with it. And when you asked him the question, it you were almost kind of stunned yourself. Or like, you no, know, you did listen. And then Donovan said that he didn't listen, which is you know kind of surprising because I, I personally thought that he did. I you know as much as we bashed him, you know, and, and yours truly as well because I'm no different than anybody else. I'm not gonna lie and say. Oh, I love Donovan. Right. I I didn't like it because again, I I think it should have went a whole different way, and and I guess the 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 burning point was again towards the back end of you know the back half of his years. Then we you know we, we go down to Jacksonville, lose against New England. You know that could have been you know tapes, whatever you want to call it back then, as far as the cheating scandals, all the good fun stuff. Yeah. But he came up short, and then we never got the true clarification when it came to. T.O. and Donovan, and then they both have stated their stories, and, and who knows, maybe the actual true truth would end up coming out, but, you know, Donovan, the way he handled himself, and, and I'm going to bring up diversity later on as well, because I think Troy Vincent also hits that one really well, along with Jeff McLean, but Donovan, the way he carried himself, it shows today. I mean, he talked about, you know, what his major was when he was in Syracuse, how the kids had no idea that, you know, he was in the Final Four. I mean, there were so many things that people didn't know about Donovan that they're now, as he said, they're Googling him to find out about Donovan. Right. And Donovan talked about the things that he dealt with. It's surprising to hear and pretty much refreshing is using about, okay, well, when he was having that baby, yeah, I guess I should have thought about it this way. But because we were frustrated fans because we wanted so much, just like you said, you know, we want everything to happen now. You know, it's to me. I I, I know I didn't give Donovan a, a fair chance to defend himself, which he did. He didn't have to for the most part. But not listening to other things. Well, today was a bad game. Let me deal with this. You know, one thing he talked about that Carson right. Wentz has never taken acceptance for the mistakes he's done. You know, Andy did, and Lord knows Donovan did a bunch of times. You know, that was on me. It was my fault. You know, and then we got tired of hearing that because like, okay, Donovan, it's your fault. How come we're not fixing it? So I like where he states that. He didn't pay too much attention to the media, but it seems like Carson Wentz obviously paid a whole bunch of attention to what was going on with the media. So with him going to Indy, D-Gun, is that something that he's going to have to swallow that big pill and say, you know what, regardless of whatever they say back in Philly, ESPN, the NFL Network, you know, going on one, it doesn't matter who says what, I need to focus upon the things that I need to take care of or I'm going to find myself out at a young age and not playing for any other team. 
that's the mindset he should have. I mean, he's been given a second chance now. He's been put in – basically, he's get, he's in Camelot right now. He's got everything that he's wanted right now. Um, he's got everything he needs to succeed right now. Um, so whatever bad feelings he might have had about Philadelphia, Doug Peterson, the organization, the lack of weapons around him, lack of commitment to him, especially if he's still thinking that – they were drafting Jalen Hurst to succeed him sooner rather than later. All that's behind him now. He's still got his money. Uh, he's got a fresh start with a contending team. They have everything they need to win. They needed a quarterback to get them over the hump. They chose him as a quarterback to, to possibly get them over the hump and get them to a Super Bowl and possibly win it. So this, the onus now is all on, on, on Carson Wentz right now, Okay. You, you talked your way out of one situation. You said goodbye to one situation. Now you're in a smaller market, but with a really good team. So all you have to do now is focus on playing football. You assume Frank Reich is going to build his offense around your strong points and get you back to what you were. And it's the responsibility of you and you alone now to take the reins and make that offense work just like it did four years ago, five years ago now. Um, and if you don't, you have nobody to blame this time. Don't look to your right. Don't look to your left. Only look in the mirror because you have nobody to blame this time but yourself. Right. And Wentz, uh, as Sherman had said, that he, he is probably going to get like four automatic wins playing in the AFC South uh, as bad as it is right now. Houston, right. of course, we all know is a dumpster fire. And then Jacksonville is, is in rebuilding mode with, you know, the hopes of hiring a college coach. Trying to get that, that, you know, the big kid, obviously, that everyone's looking for to, to draft number one here coming up here next month. Um, so, it, yeah, I, I agree with Sherman as far as, you know, Wentz should probably end up getting four automatic wins. I, so it's it will be interesting to see exactly what's going to happen with Carson. And he needs to he just he needs to do that. It's just if, if you're going to rebuild because he had no problem. Now calling, you know, the, his new teammates and talk to them and everything else, and which was the other interesting point too, where he had his A1 uh, foundation, and that's great. Don't get me wrong. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. But if you invited other players to show up at your foundation, and then your players, and, and, and I'll use Malcolm Jenkins here for for an example. If Malcolm Jenkins, you know, had something to do with the community, hey, you know, this is a community event. Here's what's going on. You know, we're we're going to talk about this. The chief of police is going to be there. We're trying to rebuild the community. How about you show up there? Not saying that he did or he didn't, but if Carson Wentz didn't bother taking the time to something important that like what Malcolm Jenkins was doing, then to me, how does that speak about you as an individual when everyone came to you, but you didn't want to share the time with everyone else? And from what I understand, I guess he also had a very small circle of people that he would end up dealing with. So I'm just wondering what the reception is going to be like in Indy because everything's going to have to change. It, it, to me, it's going to become more and more interesting as, you know, obviously the draft comes around. Once we start mini camp, which we hope all that stuff goes back to normal as by the time, you know, July, August rolls around, hopefully more vaccinations are happening so we can see things on a regular versus, the, you know, what, mm -hmm. what Troy Vincent and the rest of the gang end up putting together this year. The one thing I will bring up with Donovan, because Russell Wilson, of course, is now the story as well. And again, it's ironic they talked about it on September 30th, but Russell Wilson is is one minute we hear that he's on the outs. The next minute we hear Russell Wilson doesn't want to go anywhere. But it's interesting to take that what Donovan has, and it, it has to do a little bit also with the diversity. So I'll bring up Russell Wilson here in the banner, and then to bring up what Donovan stated as far as when it came to Russell Wilson. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Russell Wilson because uh, Russell Wilson is one of 
six, seven, eight African-American starting quarterbacks in the National Football League now. When you played, it, it was somewhat there of a novelty. And when you played, though, it, it, it was what? A novelty. It was considered a novelty back then. Give me your thoughts on yeah. how the complexion of the quarterback game has changed in the NFL now. I said this, I remember when uh, when the whole discussion went on with Rush Limbaugh at ESPN. Remember when I talked about, this is not about me, this is about the yep. kids uh, on the high school and Pop Warner level and then in college. When they see guys like myself, Dante Culpepper, Byron Lethbridge, uh, Aaron Brooks, when they see Sean King, when they see guys like us, and then you had the Vince Youngs and Michael Vick and those guys, but they feel like my dream can come true. Like, I have a chance of playing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the National Football League. Um, I have so many so many guys that are younger than me told me they wore number five uh, because I was I was their idol. Right. And kids to this day, you look back on what number they wore in high school, they wore number five. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I did was, and, my, and myself and those guys I mentioned, I got the torch from Randall and Rodney, um, and, and, and those guys, and they got it from Doug and, and, and James Harris. We're past the we're passing the torch, but what the the torch is now? The torch is now separated. We're now everyone's passing it. Look at what Cam Newton is doing. Yep. Cam is getting paid a million dollars, uh, probably with incentives that, that reach probably to five million for the New England Patriots. And right now, the New England Patriots look like they might represent in the AFC Championship. Now, of course, fast forward now to when we're talking about today and 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 being a whole different story when it came to New England. But you know, he, as he talked about Ronnie Pete and a couple other guys, Dante Culpepper, which which I I've, to kind of flag back when we were talking about as far as Deuce, does Dante Culpepper deserve to be a head coach in the NFL? You know, they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, so that's in the that's in the eyes of those looking at him. As a head coach, if he's paid his dues, if he's put in his time, if he's had success, why shouldn't he be a, 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 as qualified as anybody else out there? Um, but we we still know a lot of times the playing field is not always equal, you know. And you just hope that somebody is willing to give you that that next chance. You know, I look at a, I look at a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I, I covered the Steelers for ten years back in the nineties when I lived in Pittsburgh. And, you know, it, when I was there, it was Chuck Noll. And, you know, everybody knows Chuck Noll and the history of Chuck Noll. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, you know, uh, after that, they hire another coach. Um, and then they bring in this guy, Mike Tomlin, you know, which is, which is a big risk. And, you know, you look at what Mike Tomlin has done in Pittsburgh, you know, um, in 15 years with that team, he's never had a losing season. He's taken them to two Super Bowls, won a Super Bowl. And, you know, when Mike Tomlin puts a resume together like that, that opens the door, hopefully down the road for others. It makes others feel more comfortable about viewing, you know, African-American candidates for head coaching positions. You look at Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy was able to win uh, a Super Bowl. Um, and, and then you look at you look at what Bruce Arians has done with this coaching staff down in Tampa. You know, if you ever want to visualize a picture of our, our, our minority coaches qualified to be head coaches in the National Football League. I mean, Bruce Arians had, you know, a black offensive coordinator, black defensive coordinator, black special teams coordinator. Yeah. I, I think they did pretty good, didn't they? I, I mean, you know. Sure we're good. Did you guys watch the same Super Bowl game I watched? I mean, I think yeah. all, all, sure. phases, all phases of their game played pretty well, didn't they? 
Sure so they that, that should tell you right there, there's enough qualified individuals out there to be considered candidates. Eric Bieniemy has been talked about for years. You know, people in Philadelphia were screaming, bring Eric Bieniemy here. You know, and, you know, Eric Bieniemy obviously took his name out of a number of hats of situations he didn't want to go to. And Eric Bieniemy is going to be a head coach in the National Football League one day. But, you know, it's, it's taken so much longer than it really should have for minority candidates to be given a fair opportunity to coach in it, in it, a business, one of the richest conglomerates on the planet, right. where where over seventy percent of your workforce is African American. So it, it's a slow progress. But as Troy Vincent told me, he said, "You know, D Gun, progress comes in increments." And you know, I asked Troy. I said, "Are you still upset there aren't more black head coaches in the National Football League?" He said, "You're not looking at the bigger picture. Look at what look at the coaching staff in Tampa Bay. Look at coaches around the league that are now." not just position coaches, but becoming coordinators in the National Football League. The number has grown significantly to the point the next natural step will be a head coach. It's taken longer than it should have been, but it's going to get there. No, Trina, I, I do have – now you, you mentioned I, I, I have the clip of ours as what Troy stated, and, there, and, and it's going to be going roll into the Rooney Rule, so that's the only portion of, of the actual show that I'm going to get a little bit on the personal level because we're going we're gonna to get a little more into the Rooney Rule – and how it affects everything that's going on today. So I'm going to save that for a little bit later on. Yep. And in the same way with, with Donovan, when he talked about, and you asked him the question, is, is there going to be a definitive change? You know, Donovan almost, you know, was on that same category that, you know, it's got to be, you know, there's got to be that systemic change. If, if people want the change, they're going to make, they're going to make that change. If the dollars are going to roll in, like he said, you know, if the NFL for years has, oh, uh, you have this function going on, you know, here's a couple of million or here's a couple of thousand, but didn't get to the, the actual root of the actual problem. But it's easier to throw the money because as Donovan stated, no one wants to listen. They'll throw the money at you just like we see with, you know, with charity events, other big things that go on, you know, politics, you name it. The, the money speaks volumes. But when the money doesn't hear the problem, the money doesn't hear suicide, the money doesn't hear family issues. But throw money at somebody, and all of a sudden the problem kind of magically goes away for a little bit. The NFL decided to, you know, do their own little thing when it came to this year as far as, you know, we, we heard that um, Roger Goodell initially, how he handled, you know, the whole San Fran, you know, fiasco, how that worked, and then, you know, maybe should he have listened uh, to Colin Kaepernick. There, there's so many different avenues that could have been approached. And the NFL was like, well, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll deal with it later. Right now we got to take care of this. So I, I want to get into that a little bit later on when it comes down to it, as far as the ruling rule, because I, I want to get your take from it. The one thing that Donovan also stated was the statue, as you asked the question, can a statue basically make or break you? And, and it was asked a question, you know, did Donovan feel hurt that he didn't get a statue in Philly? And, and obviously he's describing the one from Nick Foles from winning Super Bowl uh, 52 here. So Donovan stated that he he doesn't have to worry about a statue because his family, his grandkids, you know, when it gets to that point, they will see his number retired up there. The number five will always yep. love up there at the link. Or even if, you know, the link changes in a couple of years from now, Donovan will be part of that circle. So I'm going to ask you the question, and as you asked Donovan, did that statue end up breaking the spirits of Carson Wentz and then added to what was going on this year with Carson? You know what? That's a good question, but it's not a question I can answer. You would have to ask Carson Wentz that, that question himself. I mean, obviously Carson Wentz uh, was disappointed. He couldn't finish what he started 
in 2017. But I firmly believe the Eagles don't get to their Super Bowl uh, without Carson Wentz and his performance throughout the course of that year in 2017 as well. So he was as much a part of uh, that, that success as anybody, you know, with that organization. But in terms of a statue, you know, I think if Carson is a realist and realistic about the situation, you know, you look at the play of Nick Foles throughout the playoffs, you know, and what he did in the Super Bowl, you know, so Nick Foles deserved those accolades. Nobody was expecting Nick Foles to come off the bench and play the way he played in those playoff games and against the mighty New England Patriots. So, you know, you know, Nick deserved all those accolades. And I, you know, from my perspective in the, in the dealings that I've had with the Carson Wentz, I don't think a statue affected him in one iota. I just think other things built up around Carson Wentz in terms of the criticism, uh, whatever the tension there was between him and Doug, uh, the frustration of getting pounded during the season, the organization drafting another quarterback with a high second-round pick. I think all of those things got to him more so than him thinking about a statue every time he drove up to Lincoln Financial Field. Yeah, the one thing Sherman touched upon earlier, the same thing, that it wasn't a statue that ended up breaking uh, – Carson Wentz, it was the, the draft of Jalen Hurts breaking Carson Wentz because it was the added pressure of, all right, I'm, if I'm supposed to be the guy, how come they start this guy? And, of course, then the benching came around, and you can – I mean, the spirits were broken then. And then at the end of the season, Lord knows that question will live on Doug's memory for years and years and years. So you decide to take out Jalen for Nate, and the rest is just the uh, – Phenomenal history, but you know that that could be for a future show later on. Whenever we ever get a chance to talk to Doug, or you get a chance to talk to him before we do, and Doug, what were you thinking? I, I think that would be my question to him. Um, the one thing that we'll get before I'm, I'm done here was, was your interview with Donovan. Was I like the question? What would be the one thing that he would change going back, reflecting on you know whether it be in his life and or the Super Bowl he lost? And I like the answer, so I. I and I want to play that clip here because this kind of took me again by surprise. You're like, okay, you know what, Donovan, you, you got my vote because it, it makes a lot of sense. What is the worst memory you have of being a Philadelphia Eagle? If you could change one thing, it, it, do you say to yourself, man, I wish I could go back and, and redo this? Um, what would it be? It's easy to point at the Super Bowl um, and, and wish that you could have changed a few things. Um, I think for all of us, myself, and I talked to Jim Kelly too, when we both talked about it, you know, if we could have just won one or, you know, if we could have won two or, three, you know, just one, it starts at one. Right. Uh, but if I could change anything in that game, uh, that would be one. I, I would say probably if I could change anything. I mean, I didn't agree with the whole trade deal when I got traded to Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt there was no reason for me to be traded. Um, I know, but you know how they, they kind of want to go with the young, young wave. Um, I wish I could have finished my career in Philadelphia. Yep. Uh, you know, and if I would have got 13 years, if I would have got 15 years being in Philadelphia and, and just saying, you know what, I appreciate everything that everyone has done for me. Uh, you know, my teammates, my coaches, the fans, I would have just loved to retire as an Eagle uh, and not play with anyone else. Now, to me, D-Gun, that, that speaks volumes of Donovan McNabb because, again, you got to think about it as a fan base, and you know it because, you, you know, when you were with NBC, everyone attacked Donovan, no matter what, you attacked him. 
And mm-hmm. even with him leaving and going down there to D.C., you know, I, I, now, of course, this year didn't have a team. We decided to name it DCU, which is the District of Columbia University, instead of, you know, the Washington football team. So with him going down there to, to Washington and then reflecting back and saying that he wanted to stay in Philly, knowing the harsh criticism, I mean, the tough love, everything the city gave him. And that man is basically looking at it as God. God said, what, I, I died for you so that you guys can learn, so you guys can still, you know, do that life that that you need. And it's amazing to hear Donovan basically in those same words saying that, you know what, no matter what was said to me, no matter what was thrown at me, no matter what, I still would have loved and done Uh everything possibly good for Philadelphia. So that's amazing from his character alone. And I I couldn't believe I was taking it back. Donovan will tell you that some of the things that came out negative about him, he brought on himself. He knows that. But the bigger picture was Donovan has that had that makeup where, you know what, you, you're not going to affect me. You know, you you can't get to me. You can say what you want to say about me, but I'm still going to be who I am. And even when you go out and compete, you know, you have good days, you have bad days. And Donovan had good days, he had bad days. He got benched briefly, came back and played better. And he's right. You know, it will always bother him that he wasn't able to hoist that trophy for the city of Philadelphia. I mean, they had their shots. You look at all the conference championship games they got to. They had their shot in the Super Bowl, and he did not finish the job. And, you know, we say we say he, and we always say when we talk about quarterbacks, you didn't win the game. Obviously, it takes more than one person to win a game. But it would always stick in his crawl that he wasn't able to hoist that trophy and take that victory parade for the city of Philadelphia. Uh, Fuji, I don't know if you want to add to it as far as when it comes to Donovan. Even, even I guess, your best and or worst when it came to Donovan himself. Well, I think Donovan isn't appreciated like he should be. I mean, five NFC title games and a Super Bowl appearance. I mean, he didn't – the man had no receivers up until he got Tyrell Owens. Mm-hmm. The best year of his career was 2004. As soon as he got – as soon as the Eagles got T.O. and – Javon Curse, the ticket was already punched by me. This mm-hmm. team was going to the Super Bowl. It was it was guaranteed. But I appreciate McNabb. I mean, came up short in a lot of mm-hmm. in a lot of, in some ways, but you know, but people should appreciate him. I mean, his jokes, like you all like you said earlier, Degon, he just deflected the media. Right. Which I mean, I take my hat off the five. I mean, it was probably the best Eagles hour since 1933, you know, since the inception. So I appreciate McNabb and what he did. You know, he made some stupid comments, but, hey, you know, will we see another hour like that in Eagles history? Hopefully. Sherman, I don't know if you want to add to it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's very similar to the run that the Phillies had in 2007 through 2011. Uh, you can definitely draw some parallels to that. Personally, I'm going to say the lowest uh, for McNabb as a fan was that home game against Tampa Bay in the NFC Championship. It ended up being the last game that the Eagles ever played in Veteran Stadium. Mike and I had the opportunity to go to that game. And, you know, just memories of him throwing that interception to uh, uh, Rondé Barber running down the field because it's a game that they should have won, right? When they played St. Louis and they lost, okay, St. Louis was the better team, so nobody expected them to win that game. But when it's in your house and you're playing a warm-weather team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
And they come in, and Deuce Stanley scores that first touchdown in the opening minutes of the game. Everybody thought, here we go, we're going to the Super Bowl. And just like that, all the air was let out of the balloon. And then when they played Carolina the next year in Lincoln Financial Field, mm-hmm. they lost that game too. But I'm going to say the game against Tampa Bay, which ended up being the last football game that the Philadelphia Eagles played, uh, ended up being a loss in Veterans Stadium. So that was personally the lowest moment for me with McNabb as a fan of the team. Mm. Now, I want to switch gears here because, of course, as Troy Vinson, right, truthfully, you can call him a beast for, for what he does, the time, the travel to New York, as he stated to you, you know, the, his money through Thursday schedule, running back home, getting, you know, time together with the family, finding time in between. I think he was having a meeting that day when you end up doing a podcast with him. Right. It's amazing how Troy, and if you look at it way back in the draft, I don't think any of us ever envisioned Troy Vincent to be where he is today. It's one of those things like if you achieve and you push yourself hard enough to get where you want to be in life, you can do it. But you have to believe in yourself. And and I have a, a saying that I had after my my relationship is that you are the only one that holds you back. When you want to achieve a dream, when you want to achieve a goal, whatever it is that you want to do, you keep persisting it. You keep doing it. Even if you ask somebody 20 times, hey, you want to come on the show? No. Hey, you want to come on the show? No. Hey, you want to come on the show? How many times do you ask me? Until you say yes. So it's one of those things that you have to pursue whatever it is that your passion is. I'm at the age of 50, about to turn 51 here very shortly. I don't stop. I keep the hustle going. I keep moving. You know, no different than Sherman and Fujian themselves. You know, the same way like you, D-Gun. You know, if, if whatever you want to achieve in life, you're never too old. You know, you if things can be done. Our current president, our former president, again, much older in life. But guess what? If that's where they want to achieve, they got to where they want to be. So Troy amazed me when he talked about as far as like even Tom Brady kind of, you know, uh, as far as him being the greatest of all time. And we can briefly talk about that before we get into Rooney rule. But Troy Vincent seeing, I mean, going from the Eagles, you know, taken away from from the organization, moving into the NFL from the small role to now executive. I mean, it's amazing what he's done in his life. And people, you know, whether you're you're white, black, Hispanic, no matter what, could look up to Troy and say, you know what, that man, I mean, the, the achievements he's done, and he's not even done yet because Troy's not even anywhere near done. But to see what he's done, the diversity he tries to put together, how he listens to everybody and tries to put the, I mean, I, I can go on about the man, no different than you, Deacon, because I, I know it's the same way. When you look at people, you don't look at them as, you know, anything than this. You look at them as a person and what would you like to do with your life? What can, you know, anybody do to help each other out? And 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 it's amazing when it comes to the Rooney Rule here and what is said, and that's where I'm going to get a little personal because it's going to get to the point of where we are today. So I'm going to play the clip here when it comes to Troy Vincent and the, uh, the Rooney Rule himself. Okay, you look at his coach, Bruce Arians. He wins the Super Bowl with a black offensive coordinator, black defensive coordinator, black special teams coordinator, and two female assistant coaches on his staff. What and do you hope? Coach. An assistant head coach. coach yes. Cooper. Yep, you're right. I, I, what do you hope that will do moving forward in terms of opening up more opportunities for minorities as head coaching in the National Football League because obviously the Rooney Rule has not done quite what we all hoped it would at this point. Well, let me just start with just my personal feelings about B.A. is he's always been out front, as we would say, temple tough. Yep. And he he exemplifies that and wears that every single day. 
He is intentional about his efforts around people of color. He's always been that way since I've been in my current position, even as a player, as he was an assistant coach and coordinator. Mm-hmm. Coach Arians is intentional about inclusion because diversity is a catch-all. The yep. term minority can be a catch-all. Mm-hmm. Coach Arians is inclusive where everybody, because diversity is a fact. Inclusion is a choice. He has made an intentional choice to make sure all are included. That's color, that's mm-hmm. gender, from the coaching ranks. It was proud to see. And this is how, you know, again, I put it back in the spiritual realm, how God works. Yep. The biggest stage under what the year that we just came out of, mm-hmm. where we're always trying to define what black excellent is and what it looks like and our ability to lead. Well, guess what? It was on full display, Super Bowl 55. That's right. We saw Byron Letwich. We saw Todd Bowles. And we saw Keith Armstrong. We saw Harold Goodwin win Super Bowl 55. On the biggest stage, it was just one of those things where the timing couldn't be better. Mm-hmm. You know, just coming out, people talk about Coach enemy and the lack of hiring at the hedge coaching area. Wasn't there which we're not happy with, but there was progress. So that that was what Coach Aaron is doing is we hope that others do it and continue mm-hmm. to do so. So <clears throat> Troy Vincent talked about it. As far as when it comes to Bruce Arians and what he did, the, the diversity that he ended up putting together, um, he also talked about and in, in, in another piece where you guys had, had talked about what's going on as far as today. And, and that's where I'm going to get to. And and the reason why I haven't even brought it up on the show up until today, because I want to make sure when I talk to someone about the current situation that we're involved with, one is they, they it's understandable <clears throat> what's going on, the relation, and what can we do to get better. Now, Malcolm Jenkins, right, when he was with Philadelphia, the one thing he talked about is it, he talked about it even, as a matter of fact, I think with New Orleans prior to getting uh, moved over to Philly. When he was in Philly, of course, he was trying to bring the community together. He worked a lot with the chief of police prior to him, of course, going back to New Orleans. Malcolm tried to basically try to move mountains as much as he could to bring that diversity into the city, meaning that, you know, we don't we shouldn't look at at the boys and girls white club. We shouldn't look at the boys and girls black club. It should be all together in one. We saw this summer between the Black Lives Matter movement and what ended up happening between the ones who wanted to peacefully protest and bring forward of what, how they felt, what they've been dealing with for years, whether it's them, whether it was their parents, whether it was their ancestors, they were trying to say that, hey, listen, we don't, we, this problem has gone away. It's still here. Let's talk about it. Again, Malcolm, I think it was probably one of the better examples as far as bringing that forward. The players, of course, this year try to get together, you know, at times and talk about a different diversity. Now, the offseason, they could be probably talking about it even more to bring that forward into the other, you know, into the 2021 campaign. The bad part about it was the people who weren't related to the Black Lives Matter movement, and they said that they were. And so now it's shunned something that was supposed to be brought forward to wait a minute. I, no, you know what? I don't want to see another commercial. I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to hear about that. Because it gets to the point where it was nauseating. You're going to tell me that you were a part of this movement, but look at what you're doing. Well, there was no, there was no separation from that. Everybody got you know all put in together. Like, no, you know what? We don't want to hear about the movement because you guys 
you know, don't understand what's going on. Well, it also comes with education. If you educate yourself to know that what different ethnicities have gone through, then you can relate. You know, maybe maybe you were privileged, but now you can talk to someone maybe who wasn't, and you can now come to that same certain level, which is pretty much the same thing that's been tried the message to be, you know, we're, we're five, six months down the road now that we're still trying to get this message across, even though it's been years in the past. But for the last five or six months, they've been trying to get a message across. Now, are we going to start seeing, you know, <clears throat> for example, black coaches to the Rooney rule being moved up just because of that? Or because are we going to have qualified people and they happen to be black <clears throat> on top of that as well, that, you know what, this person decides, you know, they need to be there. Troy Vincent is a primary example, an executive. Why? Because he learned the ropes. He knew what he had to do, educate himself, get him to that position and still believe in everything that's going on in the community. So he hasn't separated himself from the community. He's still involved. And even though he's an executive, but guess what? George voice is still got to be heard no matter what, mm-hmm. even though you're up there at the top, but you still got to be heard every single day. So <clears throat> with me back home in Philly, thankfully for me, I grew up the same way in diverse neighborhood, Asians, blacks, whites, Hispanics, obviously me being Hispanic. So we got to, to, to see how we can all collectively come together. You look at between Mike, myself, and, and Sherman. Sherman is Jewish. Mike's Italian. You know, yet we have this great bond within each other. We're like brothers. We'll, we'll argue. Don't be wrong because we're all gonna, we're going to get our points across and everything else. But at the end of the day, we have to find a way. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I'm going to do this. You know, but that's what you do as a family. But we're never going to get to the point where like, oh, well, because you're this, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. No, I want to listen to you because you could probably bring something to the table I've never done before in my life. So when it comes down to the Black Lives Matter, D-Gun, did that become a negative impact even when it came to sports? Because the NBA, of course, it's been dealt with a whole different way. So did the Black Lives Matter movement come in at the wrong time? And did it have to be you know, involved so much with sports or was it that they were, you know, they were trying to get their point across as well, whether it be in the NBA, MLB or the NFL? Anytime you're, you're trying to create change, there's never a wrong time. And when you look at what had transpired in 2020, unnecessary killings uh, of minorities and athletes decided to use their platform um, to bring more awareness to social injustice, uh, to systemic racism. Um, and a lot of people, not just blacks, but a lot of people that were non-blacks jumped on board and said, you know what, you're right. Unfortunately, there was still a faction of people that didn't want to hear that. They just thought people were crying foul. And you know, when you look at racism, racism is like a chameleon. It will blend in, it will change colors to fit in, but it's still racism. But luckily we have enough people in America Um, not just blacks, but people of all colors um, who truly understand what has happened in this country in the past and what has happened in this country in the present that are willing to stand arm in arm with with people of color and to help make a change. And, you know, we look at where this country is right now. We're talking about the year 2021. This this country, in terms of diversity, uh, in terms of interracial marriages, in terms of... um, daily activity it's 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 like change night and day compared to what it was in 1960 but yet we're still fighting the strength same battle making progress progress slower than what i ever anticipated in my lifetime that it would take to make the change but 
you know, you have to keep speaking on it because if you don't keep speaking on it, if you don't keep bringing it to the forefront, if you don't keep making it a priority, it just fades away and nothing ever gets done. So now the voice is a little bit louder. You look at the amount of pro teams uh, that all of a sudden began to donate millions of dollars uh, to fight social injustice. That didn't happen 10 years ago. You look at Roger Goodell, who acknowledged, you know, we should have listened to Colin Kaepernick uh, back when, and we didn't. That That's a sign of change. You know, you wish that change had to come back then instead of uh, now. Um, but you know what? It may take us another 20 years to get to where we need to be, which is a country, uh, the United States of America, people living as one in harmony together, not judged by color, you know, but just looked upon as another human being. Um, it's a shame we have to still go that route, but you still have to fight that good fight. People still have to stand in the trenches and fight that battle for change, definitive change to happen. Um, you look at change from where Martin Luther King was to where we have changed now. It has been slow and progressive. It has it, it has had setbacks along the way, but but it's still at the forefront of us in, as an American society. And it must be until we get to where we need to be as a country. Right. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense because, again, it's, you know, we, we, I, I think, add the pandemic, add, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, what was going on, add to the presidency. There was so much that went wrong in, in 2020 that hopefully now 2021 starts bringing that, that positive change for people to understand. And, and I understand, like, you know, everybody wants to have a little more education and find out, okay, you know what, maybe I need to know exactly what went on, what caused this, what ended up happening, and how can we make it better? But in order for that to happen, the rest of that negativity that comes along with it does have to go down because if, if all we keep seeing is the people who are not involved with the actual movement are the people who are trying to just do do them, not, not bring this to the forefront. To do them, I think it's going to make it worse before it makes it a whole lot better. But at least now, we know that, yes, you know, we've known this for years. You know, those of us who live in minority neighborhoods, we've seen it. You know, we, we've heard about it. We know, but it's an everyday thing. It's it's a whole different thing compared to even now. But again, if if I didn't have these two guys, you know, as my friends and basically family for the most part, we don't, that's the one thing. I never chose these two because they're a different ethnicity. I want the, the people that I know that want to be successful, the ones that want to share the same vision that I do, and but also makes it as Fuji says, it's a people's show. Because, you know, we'll, we'll read the comments, you know, the emails have to come in, whether to come in through direct messages, but we make sure that, you know, we're not going to offend anyone on here because that's almost like offending your own family. If anything, well, at least we learn, we grow, and we educate ourselves to become better. So I hope that 21 shows that we can do it. And the one thing I wish kind of the players would end up doing, and I know it's hard because of agents and the way the league handles everything else, it would be nice if they would actually take a time, whether it's five guys from each division, you know, MLB, NBA, the NHL, and the NFL, put together like a one-hour special and then talk about the things that can change, things that, that people may have not heard about. And I know, again, it's tough with the scheduling and, and everything else, but it would I think people would get a better understanding to say, okay, you know what, maybe we did get wrapped up too much into 2020. Let's hear, you know, what we haven't heard for many years that's been talked about in communities and now it's coming to the forefront. So hopefully I didn't get too personal there, but I do appreciate your opinion as far as when it comes to, you know, what we know that change is still needed today because mm -hmm. Lord knows we see what's going on in DC and it's still not the greatest thing in the world. 
Uh, Troy Vincent, again, I'll give it to him because the man is busy. I, I there was the the funny story about you know whether the season was going to you know be successful or not, and he was talking about the last five minutes when he came to the Super Bowl. He was ready. He knew how many commercials were coming into play. And he said the minute the game was over, he didn't look at the confetti, nothing else. They were gone, and I can't blame him because it's amazing. What was it? Two hundred twenty-six games, I think he said that were played. Two hundred fifty-six regular season games, and and for. For it to go as smooth as it possibly could, even with the minor hiccups, it, it's incredible what he was able to pull off. And I know he named five people, and, you know, as part of the team, there were individuals, but part of a team of individuals. It, it's amazing. I know they were all excited, you know, just like Fans of Philly, our, our new sponsor, for everyone wanting to travel with the team to Vegas and Denver, out to Dallas. But and as Troy Vincent said, and if, and if you guys didn't uh, listen to it, you know, catch the episode with – Troy Vincent and D Gun, he said that they're still going to go based upon the science. So even though we know that you know people are getting vaccinated, we know that we're still wearing the mask and everything else. I'm hoping that at least there'll be fans allowed in the stands and found fans allowed to travel, so at least we can get back to some sort of normalcy because it's it's not the same. The NFL, Major League Baseball, yeah, you could probably get away with it more with the cutouts, but the NFL, it, it's a complete different beast without the fans because the fans. It's what brings the energy. And if your team is down, those guys and girls are bringing you up. So I'm, I'm hoping things will end up changing. Um, the one thing before we, we end things here, I want to go back to some of these comments. And I know a lot of people are saying hello, Michelle, David. Uh, <clears throat> Joey, which is he's, he's always quite the character. Thomas. And Joey says, uh, "Digon, what up? I remember Derek from El Centro and covering the Chargers back. Wow, back wow, in the early mid '90s. That's right, bro. Uh, no, that was back in the '80s, man. When I worked in El Centro, California, my first job in the industry, KECC TV, CBS station, and that was about an hour and forty minutes due east of San Diego. But we covered the Chargers in San Diego. Wow, that brought back some memories, man. Yes." Yeah, so it's it's amazing how some people end up uh, remembering like certain things. It's it, it's wild. But Ryan says I'm not sure why people were so high on Wentz coming out of North Dakota State. Anyway, he he had an okay college career. Uh, Joey B says, "Do you got one of the best interviewers? Doesn't filter it. Genuine, real, and appreciate you, Derek. Appreciate you as well." And the question he had was, "What was the biggest bass you ever caught?" Wow, it's it's small by bass fisherman standards, but it's on my wall up in my bedroom. It was a nine-pound bass I caught in um, Lake Moreno uh, in Southern California back in the late 1990s. Wow, yeah, and I think matter of fact, the last episode we talked about might have been off air, might have been after we were done. We were talking about fishing and grilling because yeah. you were grilling that night. I do remember that you were you had grilled food for yourself and, and the family, but I think that. Did you ever end up getting a bike? Because I know you said that they were tearing it up, so I don't remember if you end up getting oh, some. They, they know, they know. You know, if I'm out there inhaling smoke all night and getting black lung disease, they better save me a plate. <laughs> you know, so like even tonight, you know, I was out grilling before I jumped on here. I even ran to the store because we ran out of hot dog buns, and I'm driving down the road at seven o'clock. I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing? And I'm like, oh shoot, I gotta hurry up and get back. I got a podcast to be on. So I raced to the store, grabbed some stuff, and came back and jumped uh, jumped on here. So, yeah. So it seems like every time I'm on your show, I'm outside grilling, man. 
Listen, I appreciate it. I see your tweets when you're out there. I'm like, you know, if the one thing I'm going to go back to Philly for, I'm going to go, whether it's a D-gun, you know, rib or chicken sandwich, something, I'm going to head uh, at one point and, and, and grab me something because, it, man, it, if you can smell it, like I, it seems stupid, right? But I'll, I'll grab my phone and I'm looking at your tweet and all of a sudden, I can't smell it. I can't smell it. What's going on? So man, I got four. I have four grills, four different types of grills on my, on my patio deck outside. And I use all of them, man. I just love to be out in the elements. I don't care how cold it is, how hot it is, rain, sleet, or snow. I'm like the mailman. Nothing will stop me from delivering the mail. Um, so, I, you know, I like to grill. When the family says, hey, can you grill this or can you grill that, I'll give it a try. And I like to experiment on a grill also. Yeah. We enjoy it, even though we're not there, but we, we definitely do enjoy it. Uh, Tom says, what do you think about the Eagles' new head coach? Uh, you know what? Give the guy a chance. You know, you look, uh, again, as I said on this podcast, look at Jeffrey Lurie's history of hiring uh, coaches, you know, coaches who have never been head coaches in the National Football League, and they've all had a measure of success at this level. So, you know, Frank Reich endorses a guy. I have a lot of respect for Frank Reich. Um, so give a guy a chance. You know, don't don't be negative right out the gate. Let's see what he can do in terms of putting together an offense and putting whoever his quarterback is in the right position to make plays and see who he surrounds the, the quarterback with. So, you know, I, I'm going to be open-minded about this. I mean, I – I can't tell you uh, much about Nick Sirianni, as most people can't, because we haven't seen a whole lot of him. But we're going to find out this year exactly what he's capable of doing or not capable of doing. Right. This one is there for Vito there. It says, 1999, does Corleone remember that far back? Impressive. Joey's got uh, jokes for days. So he's just he's a funny guy. But he said the Eagles need to bring back Buddy Ball and play Smash Mouth and get the edge back. And I think we've, we've talked about that yeah. a bunch of times. Um, he also says that the players in the NFL need to protect their brand now, not about the team, all about individuals. And we were getting into the conversation earlier. Uh, D gun, he gets it. So refreshing to hear his take. <clears throat> Ryan says, if you don't have the backbone and aren't tough uh, mentally as a quarterback, then you pray mm-hmm. you don't get drafted by Philly, New York, Vegas, and or Chicago. That's true. That's so true. Yeah. Ryan also stated he won't feel an in indie with the team around him. He won't be asked to do much. Uh, Ryan, he did say this. Uh, he said, I've told these guys when Reich left that Wentz downfall in Philly, which is very true. Turned out to be true, yeah. yeah. Joey says, I could watch D-Gun all day, commentate on his bass fishing adventures. He needs a reality show fishing <laughs> with D-Gun. <laughs> we talked about it earlier. I thought fishing we- and grilling. Fishing <laughs> and grilling with D-Gun. I don't know, man. And so many people on social media have been yelling at me, why don't you have your own show on YouTube? I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I grill because I like it. If I ever had to do it as a job, people go... Why don't you open a restaurant? Because that's work, man. You know, especially when you're, you're talking about grilling and smoking meats. And, I mean, you got to start like at six in the morning to get it ready for the noon lunch crowd. And then you're there at nine or 10 o'clock at night. You know, that's not for me. God bless those who do it and love it and have a passion for it. I do it because I enjoy it and I can walk away from it when I don't want to do it. If I did it every day, six, seven days a week, I'd probably hate it. Probably would never pick up a grill and take all my grills and throw them in the ocean. You know, uh, so... I'm not at the point yet where I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm going to do a grilling show. I'm, maybe I'm getting closer because so many people keep saying it. Maybe I'm getting closer to it. Maybe by the summer. Stay tuned. You just never know what might might happen. We, I, I thought honestly, God, when you were done with NBC, I I thought that's yeah. where you were going because you were showing your grills, and I thought you know what, right, maybe right. a grilling show. But right. hey, you never know what's going to happen. You never ever True. know. Uh, Shiz Money says, haven't watched NBC Sports Network except for watching the 76ers since they let you go, D-Gun. How much do I owe you? You know, how, how much you want me to pay you? I appreciate it. You know, the check's in the mail. 
<laughs> uh, Sean says, great show, fellas. Miss you uh, on post-game live, Derek Gunn. I miss all you people as well. But, you know, like I always said, don't count me out. You never know where I may pop up next. Don't count me out yet. That's true. And listen, and by the way, if you need a fresh new set of interns right here, the Brady Bunch, did you see on, on, mm -hmm. on the windows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Area. Uh, great talk, guys. Very important. As uh, we were just talking about a couple minutes ago, Joey B says, great uh, show, gentlemen. Great show today, guys, with Tom. And then Joey B has one last thing. He says, D-Gun with four grills. Dude, you need a fishing and grilling pot. And, and that's what we just talked about. So, uh, one, I, hear you. I hear you, Joey. I hear you. So we'd like to thank, of course, D-Gun for coming on. We we know, listen, you're extremely busy. Again, if you guys, are, again, you can't miss it because you can follow him on Twitter, Real D-Gun. Gun on your, yeah, with, Gun on one with Derek Gun. Uh, Spotify, your favorite podcast, uh, iHeart. I mean, you name it. You Apple, so all of them. Yeah, exactly. Gunonone.com. You know, I can't forget that one as well. So listen in. And, and of course, we're not sharing it again because you're here. I, I listen to it religiously, just like you told uh, Jeff McFarlane as far as when it comes to his stuff. So, and you learn a lot. You, you honest guy, you learn a lot from it. So, Degun, we thank you. And, and I want to play this one more time before you go out because, again, for the people who didn't get a chance to see this in the very beginning, you can book your cruise starting after the show. This is the reason why. Yeah, yeah. See, you got me with that the first time. I'm thinking I got a free cruise in this deal, man. I didn't know you were talking about 2042, man. You know, see, I, I'm a little disappointed, but you know what? That's all right, though. You guys, you guys got me. You got me this time. <laughs> now, listen, I told you, we're going to be like below deck. We're going to get the yacht ready and everything else. We'll make sure you're, you're well taken care of. So don't don't you worry about it. That's for that's for the the OK Corral when it comes to 2042. When it gives us the green light to, to say that we're we're finally done. So who knows? But again, we like to thank, of course. The sponsor of the show, Fans of Philly, thank you so much for, again, believing in us and, and coming on as the official sponsor of Broad Street South. And, and you guys and girls, go to make sure you go to fansoffilly.com. Stay tuned for the updates, as we all will when it comes to the NFL. I would say within at least the next two or three months, as Troy Vincent had stated out, we'll see where the science of it goes. So you guys start booking your, your trips accordingly. But it doesn't mean that you can't you know book it for the Phillies, the Flyers, and the Sixers. So don't go just by the NFL alone because Fans of Philly does cover all four major teams. So by all means, visit fansofphilly.com as we do appreciate it. And again, we appreciate them coming on as a sponsor. So D-Gun, thank you so much. I hope the family as well keep the grill going and fired up because, uh, again, we love seeing it. And obviously it shows because the fans love to see it as well. So yeah. we hope to see you back on TV. But again, we're enjoying the podcast. So keep the guests coming because we do appreciate it. And, uh, again, just thanks for the opportunity for coming on with us tonight. Well, guys, thank you, as always, for having me on. I had a blast. And uh, just to just to promote my podcast a little bit, my next two podcasts coming up will be uh, with Lane Johnson, uh, who's just opening up a weight training uh, center uh, for athletes down in the state of Texas. And then I'll have uh, Chris Terrian on also talking about some of the demons he's had to battle, uh, that he battled as a professional athlete and how he overcame those demons to where he is now. So Lane Johnson is coming up uh, and uh, Chris Tarion. Uh, so guys, stay tuned. Gun on one, still alive and kicking. Which brings me to an interesting point before I end it here. Do you think 
that you could ever get Mike Tyson on and talk about the things that plagued him years ago. That would be really interesting as well. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, I'm going to work on it. And I'm also, I will tell you this, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I'm working to get Will Smith on also. So we'll see. I've always wanted to talk to Will Smith. So if uh, my boy DJ Jazzy Jeff can hook that up for me, uh, I'm going to get Will Smith. That's that, If I got a Will Smith on my podcast, that's where I just dropped the mic after the podcast. I'll never do another <laughs> podcast again. So so I'm see if I can get Will on before this basketball season is over. Well, if that's the case, why don't we go Philly for Philly where you can do Will Smith and Kevin Hart? You know what? Not bad. Not bad. You know, I've got to make some contact. I got to call some people and make some contacts and see if I can pull that off as well. Okay. We'll see. Well, again, thanks, Derek Gunn, for coming on with us tonight. For D Gunn, Mike Fuji, and Sherman. I'm Angel. Thank you guys very much for watching tonight. We do appreciate it. Have a great upcoming weekend and enjoy the rest of the week.